Welcome to Mad Lit Musings, a podcast with Jamie Jo Wright, where we go deeper and ask the tough and dangerous questions. Today's episode is sponsored by Ravel and Bethany House Publishers, which are divisions of Baker Publishing Group. Find out more at bakerpublishinggroup.com. Are you a writer wanting to go deeper in your writing and get to the heart of your story? Join Christie Award-winning author Jamie Jo Wright at MadLitMentoring.com, where she will take you on an intimate, fun, and exploration of going deeper, the layers of your story, the four corners of foundation, and more. Find out how to be mentored by Jamie Jo Wright at MadLitMentoring.com. Hey everyone, thank you for coming to Madlit Musings. I am excited today because we have with us Elizabeth Camden, who writes for Bethany House Publishers and Baker Publishing Group. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, thank you for having me on. Well, thank you so much for coming. You have a new release as of May 3rd, and it is called Written on the Wind. Tell us a little bit about this new release. Okay, great, thank you. Um, Well, the book is set in 1901, and it is a historical romance. It's pretty much equal parts romance and a history um, uh, event. What happens, my, my hero is a Russian count and he's working on building the Trans-Siberian Railroad, which was the, and still is the largest, longest passenger railroad in the world. It goes from St. Petersburg, Russia and all the way to Vladivostok on the other side of the Russia. Wow. So he is in the middle of Siberia, lonely, isolated, working on the railroad with a bunch of workers who do not speak his language. And he is working with um, the heroine. She works for a bank in New York City. Her father is who owns the bank. That's how a woman in 1901 could have actually been handling an account like the Trans-Siberian Railroad. <laughs> and she is fluent in Russian because she has a Russian mother. So okay. she and Dmitri immediately have this bond. And they start writing letters to each other. Mm. And as the book opens, they have a four-year relationship, very tight friendship that they have developed through writing these very deep, effusive, and personal letters. The book opens when he has disappeared and has gone missing, and she cannot figure out what has happened to him, why he has ghosted her, basically. (laughs) And um, she learns that he has been condemned for cowardice, stripped Mm. of his titles, and um, sent to a, uh, a penal colony, which he escapes from. He escapes when he's on the way to the penal colony. And the reason, and this comes out to the reader fairly quickly, this may sound grim, it is not a grim novel whatsoever, but it turns out that he has witnessed a terrible massacre. It did happen in real life in okay. the year 1900, and he is on the run. The czar wants to keep him quiet, Make sure news of this massacre never gets out because it will endanger Russian supremacy in the Far East. And he thinks the world needs to know about it. So he has escaped. He has the clothes on his back and he is in the middle of rural Siberia and it's October. And his goal is to get to New York City, to his only friend left in the world who will help him. And so that is the premise for the story. 
Dimitri and Natalia meet fairly early in the page count. I mean, he has just endured a year of this harrowing escape. Okay. But then it's about how they um, join forces to take on the Russian czar. Um, no small task there. <laughs> right, right, right. I, and I've tried to make it somewhat realistic, but also somewhat magical and delightful. Um, I do write romance novels. I am an unabashed romance novelist. Although I always try to give my characters something meaty, something hefty. And I try to give them great big stumbling blocks to, to prevent the romance from being solved on page two. I don't right, do right. stupid um, problems that can be solved with a good conversation. Mm -hmm. um, Dimitri and Natalia are wonderfully compatible characters, but they have this huge stumbling block between them. Um, so yeah, that sounds absolutely fascinating. So what led you to the interest of Russia? And I mean, I'm just curious about that myself. Right. Well, this is the second book in a series. Okay. And um, you can totally read this book on its own. It does not need to read book one. You can, it has a, uh, it makes perfect sense if you start with book two and it has a satisfying ending. But in book one, I had this character in Italia who is a businesswoman in 1901 New York City. And she doesn't fit in with her family. Her family is, this is Gilded Age America. Her okay. father is, I kind of modeled him after J.P. Morgan, the world's mm -hmm. famous financier. Right. And I, she has a Russian mother who she was very close with. The mother, the mother has died by the time the book opens. And she just feels drawn to Russia. And that's why she's working on this Trans-Siberian Railroad account and she strikes up this intense friendship with Dimitri through letter writing. Yeah. And, um, you know, it wasn't until I actually completed the book that I realized one of the reasons this storyline appealed to me so much is that uh, my husband and I got to know each other through letters. We dated, it was, I guess it was about 1998 okay. when we met and started a correspondence. He lived in Utah, I lived in Ohio. And we did meet when he was in town on business. That's how we met. We had okay. a wonderful weekend. Okay. And then he went home and we wrote letters to each other for um, two solid years. Wow. It was, it was uh, through email at that point, right. but it was long discursive letters. And I was able to fly out a few times. We had a few vacations together. Um, but I think that writing is a very, um, it's a different form of communication than speaking. It's yeah. very introspective. Mm -hmm. You have the time to formulate your thoughts and put together some really interesting conversations. And if you're honest, if you're not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes, you can really get to know each other. Um, through these long reflective conversations. And that's what happened with Bill and I. And um, my parents had a long distance relationship as well. My, uh, my mother was in college at uh, the University of Texas, El Paso in 1952, I think, might have been 51. My dad was uh, shipping out for the Korean War and he was stationed in El Paso. They had a grand total of eight dates <laughs> before he shipped off for Korea wow. and then they wrote letters and I still have those love letters and mm. they great um but they got to know each other through letters through yeah. writing 
through the process of opening up your hearts and delving and learning about each other. Um, there's there's a lot of advantages to that there's some disadvantages too don't get me wrong oh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, but my parents got engaged uh, within a few days of him being back in El Paso okay um, and that was a, that marriage lasted 62 years oh, and awesome. I've been married <laughs> my husband and I just have had our 20th anniversary so I am a big believer in the power of getting to know each other through yes. thoughtful reflective letter writing yes yes yeah, letters definitely, like you mentioned earlier, they they take you on a more introspective journey um, because you have to really think about what you're wanting to communicate and what words you're going to use and and what you're going to share. I sometimes miss the the old when I was a, a kid. I would go to camp and I would write letters to my parents, you know. And I, nowadays, you go to the mailbox and you don't get any fun missives anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, fine. right. So is the book itself then a compilation of letters or do no. you hear them writing letters? No, no, because there are some really great letter uh, books, novels that are right. just, uh, what do they call those? There's a word Epistolary. for that kind of book. Uh, yes, Epistolary. exactly. Yeah. And um, there's some really good ones. I love the Evelyn Green ones. Um, uh, there's another lady who I'm drawing a blank on. But anyway, no, it is not that type of novel. Um, what happens is Dimitri is wandering in the wilderness and he is terrified. As I said, he literally has the clothes on his back mm -hmm. when he starts his journey. And so he's reflecting on his friend Natalia and why he believes that she is gonna come through for him. And so he will sort of reflect on some of the times that he has teased her through letters or oh, when okay. she has teased him. And then we go to Natalia and her uh, confusion as to what has happened to Dimitri, how he could have been charged with this terrible crime of cowardice, which she knows that that's not him, not in his character. Um, and so she has reflections from her point of view of when they started exchanging some gifts, when he sent her a novel. They have very strong views about novels. Okay. Um, he is a, a true <laughs> Russian. And one of the things, I love Russian literature, but I hate it too, because they love a sad ending. They, they believe do. in tragic endings. And I'm a romance novelist. I don't do sad endings. Right. And neither does she. So she, he has sent her a copy of War and Peace, which oh, she has wow. very firm opinions on. And she has sent him a copy of Little Women, uh -huh. which, you know, and so they have debates about the value of literature. And mm -hmm. that's what I mean about how they have gotten to know each other through some more long form correspondence where they talk about real things. Yeah. They fall in love, they, they don't love each other in a romantic sense, mm -hmm. they, that comes midway through the book. But at the beginning, they're just friends shooting the breeze about novels, shooting the breeze about music and what makes a good, you know, why Beethoven is not as good as Brahms and things like that. <laughs> so so I, I have these little arguments as Natalia sets a record and she she does have a record. This is the very beginning of phonographs exactly. as she sets on a record of Brahms. She reflects on Dimitri's thoughts about Brahms okay. so we do get to see their relationship and their development um, and so by the time they meet within about 60 seconds they are going at it you know they they none of the whole get to know you stuff they already know each other mm -hmm. that was fun that's awesome well let's take a break and when we come back I'm going to ask you a question about how often you write letters today versus all right. Our current electronic ways of communication. So we'll be right back. 
Are you enjoying today's broadcast with our featured author? You can find out more about them and other authors from Baker Publishing Group at bakerbookhouse.com. Use code MADLIT40 for 40% off any one Baker Publishing Group title at bakerbookhouse.com. This also includes Ravel and Bethany House Publishing. Go over fast. It's MADLIT40. That's your magic code for 40% off any one Baker Publishing Group title. All right, we are back here at Madlist Musings with Elizabeth Camden, and I am dropping the bomb of the question. How often do you write letters today? Mm. Well, <laughs> um, not very often. I mean, boy, it does. It seems like we're, we're back to texts and things like right. that, text messaging. Mm -hmm. um, although I do find that when I want to have a serious conversation with my husband and it's not going so well, I'll send him an email. Uh -huh. um, because that's a way for me to speak without getting choked up or overly emotional. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, to this day, will send each other an email when we've got something serious to talk about. Because you don't get distracted by phones or you don't, um, it, it's just, it, it, to, to us, it's still a great way to communicate. Yeah. Well, it's different too, because you're not interrupting each other either. That's one thing I've noticed with my husband and I, when we communicate, I'm constantly talking over him as he's trying mm -hmm. to finish a sentence and often it makes it worse. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think about half the time you're thinking about what, what's the next thing you're going to say right? when you're face to face, yep. but that doesn't happen when you're writing a letter or email. And so I have found that the, just the process of writing that letter is a great way to explore what's going on inside. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you can parse your words, um, but I have found it an effective way to get to the heart of what is bothering either him or me. We tend to make more progress when we write those letters. <laughs> That's great. I have a friend who every now and then will drop me a handwritten note in the mail and it'll, it'll arrive and it's just a cute little card and it'll have a little handwritten note. And it's interesting to me how meaningful just a few lines that are handwritten are in comparison to a quick text message. Right. And yeah. I, I'm not sure what differentiates it, but for some reason it does. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, you know, I, I wonder in, in years to come, I, I look through my parents' old letters or my grandparents' old letters and you can see their handwriting or that, that, that gets lost in a text message or in an email. Yeah. Uh, my mother had beautiful handwriting and I love looking at that, you know, and if, if kids ever look, you know, our Bill's kids, grandkids ever look at our letters. Cause I of course saved them. I printed them out. I saved oh, them. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, all that handwriting will be lost. Yeah. yeah. But Oh, that's true. Yeah, my grandma and grandpa wrote for the four years he was in World War II. And I have a an old bread tin that she kept them in. And so it's still in the original tin, all oh. the letters. And he had an eighth grade education. So his wow. spelling was a little bit off and his handwriting was not the greatest, but it is. It's a totally, um, it's almost like a time travel machine when you pull out an old letter and gotcha. you open it up and you start reading it. Yeah, even absolutely. even the prose that they used in the slang words and it, mm -hmm. it's all just different. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. So the first book in the Blackstone legacy is carved in stone, correct? Right. And then right. this is book two written on the wind, but you can read them separately. Absolutely. Um, you know, I don't know about you. I think you do mostly standalones, don't you? I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. 
when my first several novels for Bethany House were all standalones. Okay. And then I started thinking, well, let's do series because that's all the thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I've been doing series lately. Um, but I've always maintained the commitment of, I want the book to uh, be logical no matter where you start in the series. And I want it to have a satisfying ending, no cliffhangers. Yes. Um, so I really, um, I, I hope that when somebody reads my one of a novel from me, they won't even know that it's part of a series. Okay. They're going to get some more enrichment um, if they already know a few of the characters, but it's not like you're joining a party halfway through. Right, right. And that's good to know too, because so often you'll find, you know, especially readers that go to a library or something, there's only one book in a series available mm -hmm. or even right. a bookstore. Sometimes you'll find book three out of three and you're like, uh, yeah, so it, it's right. great when series are connected by characters and familiarity that way, but their own right. individual stories. Right. And yeah. romance novels are easier to do that if you have different characters because yes. you do the happy ending and then that's that. Right. Whereas sometimes in a mystery or, you know, it's more right. complex. And, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I remember reading some series where there were cliffhangers and then you have to wait an entire year. Mm -hmm. Horrible. <laughs> right. Right. So will you have a book three in the Blackstone Legacy then? There is. Um, and that one's just, I just finished it off and sent it in. Um, and yeah, again, and I always feel a little sad when I, when I end a series because I spent three years with these characters. Right. Right. Um, but once again, this, that book will be uh, a, a totally standalone book that you can read okay. on its own. All right. Wonderful. So if readers want to get to know you, want to be able to find you on the internet, et cetera, what's, what's the best way for them to do that? You know, I am very active on Facebook. I know a lot of people uh, have love, hate, or just pure old hate with Facebook, <laughs> um, but I find it because I, uh, I find it a terrific way to share my little history snippets. Every day I do interesting snippets of history. They're usually not related to my books at all. Sometimes they are. But I do little interesting stories or is interesting history from usually about 1850 to 1950. And um, and then I'll drop in ads or notifications about my research and process. So that's just author Elizabeth Camden on Facebook. Great. Great. Uh, on, on my website is elizabethcamden.com and you can mm -hmm. see my email there, elizabeth at elizabethcamden.com. That's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Okay, awesome. Well, I'm super glad that you were able to join us today and it was fun to talk about the art of letter writing. So now I wanna go buy some stationery and write some letters, I think. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you for asking me on your podcast. This is a real treat. This has been fun. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Madlit Musings. You can find out more information about Madlit and all that it has to offer at madlitmentoring.com. That's madlitmentoring.com. Or check out more about Jamie Jo Wright at jamiewrightbooks.com.